Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this week's episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyom. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Get it automatically. If you use Stitcher, you can get it there. It's usually up on YouTube. You can like the podcast on Facebook, Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. My email, Josh at MyFirstSketch.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at MyFirstSketch. I've told you all for weeks and I'm telling you again. Philly Sketch Fest presents Philly Sketch Fringe on September 15th. Three shows at the Playground at the Adrian. 7 p.m. Dog Mountain and House of Solitude. 8.30 p.m. John and Ian, The Decoy, The Prince. And 10.30 p.m. High Drama and The Mean Wendy Band. You can't go wrong with any of that. Go to the ticket page with the link. MyFirstSketch.com slash Sketch Fringe. As I continue my chats with friends in Fringe shows, today's guest is Rose Luardo, currently a member of The New Dreams. A bit of departure from the normal format of the podcast, we didn't do a recording of an early piece of Rose. Too much of her work is too visual for an audio medium. So I've embedded a bunch of her videos over at MyFirstSketch.com. Check them out. But here is my conversation with Rose. Hey Rose. Hey. All right. So I know very little about comedy dreams, new dreams. So you're going to fill me in on a whole bunch of histories. But where do you get started? Like, what's what's the first thing you do, performance-wise? All right. Um, let's see. Okay, hold on. Spread it a little thinner. When you say, when you say, what's the first thing you do? What's the first thing that I think of myself as being? Like, how would I define myself as a performance person? Or like, yeah. Let's do. Yeah. Let's start there then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wool. Um, I would say I'm an I'm an art person. Mm-hmm. And I would say that my mediums are video and performance and fine art. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like smash and bang on those, in those three spheres. And then um, where does comedy come in for you? Like, because whenever you're performing, you're like, I mean, whenever I see you performing, you're generally performing at comedy theaters, whether it was good, good, or there might even be a comedy context I, I know there's other things that you do, but like because I'm a comedy person, that's you know my basic like memory of everything that you've done is either you know comedy dreams or new dreams, incredible dreams coming up. Uh, I think we've only crossed paths or shared green room shared green rooms at uh, one minute monologues, like you know those kinds of things. So where does the comedy fit into the video fine arts? Okay, okay. So the first few times I, well, you know, I went to, um, I have some advanced performance training through HPI, which is the Headlong Performance Institute. And that is movement and dance. But it's really about generating performance work. Mm -hmm. And I, everything I did in that space was really funny. Mm -hmm. to me was funny or I was really interested in being funny or I wanted it to be funny I 
gravitate towards humor type things. I think even my artwork is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, the f- I first started working, like n- generating like solo material uh, through HPI. And soon after that, I was doing something called devised theater. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's what Pig Iron does. Mm-hmm. So it's like you get a bunch of actors together and you have them like... Um, improv and just generate material and kind of like work with their own dialogue and vibe with each other mm-hmm. until they come up with the dialogue that was just what Matt and Jackie and Andrew and I did last year for Incredible Dreams. Okay. We just kind of riffed and riffed and riffed and riffed and ideas stuck together and um, I did, well so when I was doing that with this other group it was called No Face Performance Group I realized that everything I was doing was like stand-up-ish or okay. joke-oriented or you know Making things kind of funny. Even if the subject material was heavier, I was leaning it towards it being funny. Do you, do you have any idea of where that comes from? Like, were, were you a comedy kid growing up? Were you watching comedy? Were you... I, okay, so I was, a, I was a mild comedy kid. Because when I see comedy kids now, I'm like, damn, that's a comedy kid. I'm like, ra- raised on that shit. Yeah. Only eating that. A strict diet of that. Yeah. But, um... HBO had these, uh, had a series like in the 80s of uh, different comedians that they would showcase. One of them I remember was Whoopi Goldwork. Mm. And honestly, I think this was the best work she ever did. So they, they, would, they would showcase comedians. They had, um, what else did they have? Were these like half hours or? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes they were even longer than that. Sometimes it would be a full hour. Mm-hmm. And I would watch the shit out of those again and again and again. I loved Saturday Night Live. I. Yeah, I like, and, and then the other thing that I liked was horror movies. Okay, um, well, let's, let's stop with Whoopi Goldberg because I the only Whoopi Goldberg stand-up I've ever seen was probably like a mid '90s HBO special, um, because you know she's just much more famous as an actor, actress, sure. you know, sure. like at least to me, um, where she was doing jokes, 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 or you know, story, 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 and then she like devolved into this character. For like oh, the last yeah. fifteen minutes, and oh, yeah. I think I was like ten or eleven. I saw this, and it was completely different than anything I've ever seen before. And I wasn't entirely sure how to take it. Like, in what way? Were you like, I don't like, think this is comedy anymore? No, or yeah, I, think I had this happening here. I had this idea of what stand-up comedy was, or what she was supposed to be doing with this time on television, and then she stopped doing it. And just completely changed my perception of what it is. And I don't think it was funny. And maybe I was just too young, like out of context or whatever. You know, it would be interesting to, for me to go back and find that special and think about it again. Um, because, I, like, it, it felt to be pretty heavy subject matter. That's what this first comedy special was as well. So it would start off. We might be talking about the same thing entirely. <laughs> so she did, like, four or five characters. Mm-hmm. One of them was like a weird drug addict. One of them was a child. One of them was a prostitute. So she would play these characters mm-hmm. and then slowly it would just get really crazy. Yeah. And by crazy, I mean like sad, real, and complicated. Right. And I think this is like something that she probably, I think she's won a Tony for. So like it might've been that Broadway one woman show or whatever that I might've seen. I don't remember. However, I don't think she was writing her own material or she did not write that first piece that I saw. She wrote some of it, but she did it with Robin Williams. Mm. So he was writing with her and for her. Okay. And, uh, here's what I really gravitated towards was character. Yeah. Like a character. And, and you know what? Honestly, I can go, I could go so far with what she was 
how she was kind of turning it on its head and making it kind of serious and sad. But what I think I liked more was that stand-up comedy is a place that will hold a lot of different things. Like, you can get up there and be a, a Judy Tenuta or mm-hmm. an Emo Phillips or a Bobcat Goldthwait. You can go there and be a car- like Polly Shore, and, they'll, and, it, and it, it can live yeah. there and yeah, be like legit there. You can uh, do a lot there. You can really do a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I mean, you know, one of the people that I think about now and he gets kind of crapped on by certain, you know, comedy fans. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy is very distinctly a character on yeah. stage. And there's certain people that are like, no, you have to be yourself on stage. Like, you know, I know David Cross is always like, he hates Larry the Cable Guy and this whole fake persona that he becomes. And But it's not completely out of the ordinary. Like, Absolutely not. Like, Larry the Cable Guy, his... Humor might not be directed towards me. Uh, I might not be his target audience, but that's as old as stand-up comedy has been. Like the idea of creating this character to become a, I don't know, a whole different person and to bring forward a different viewpoint. Like, uh, but what about um, uh, Andy Kaufman did a lot of and yeah, Andy Kaufman is not a stand-up, but he did stand-up venues. Like. I think he's got a, you know his face on the comedy store's wall, like sure. doing weird whatever he wanted to do, and like. Um, you mentioned Saturday Night Live. Do you have a favorite Saturday Night Live cast member? Chris Farley. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Like, I don't know because you you mentioned characters, and I don't see him necessarily as a character person. Like, I mean, you mentioned that you gravitate towards characters, so I was thinking, because I asked that, that of everybody. It's one of my pandit questions or you know whatever trademark things i was expecting someone else like i was expecting like gilda radner or Kristen wig you know dana carvey phil hartman because they become these characters more often than chris farley so what what was it about chris farley that oh my god that motherfucker is so funny <laughs> that bitch tears it the fuck up um he's intense i like his intensity mm-hmm. i like that he is like full on i mean it might have been the cocaine speaking yeah, it might have been. He's, 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 I, there's something ferocious about him. Mm-hmm. There's something a little scary and wild about him. There's something about a commitment level that doesn't stop, that's so compelling. There's something so live and unbridled and bananas about him. Mm-hmm. There's something about him where, oh, God. Well, you know, I think I like a little bit of, like, danger. And there's something a little dangerous about him. I mean, obviously, I think he lived his life yeah. dangerously. Yeah. But there's something really tweaky and deep and fucked up about what became of him as, you know, right before he died. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but like the prostitution and the Catholicism and the cocaine. Yeah. And so he would like... Have you read his book? The, the um, I, think, I think it was his one brother put together this oral history and interviewed all these other people in his life to create a biography of Chris Farley. And it's really good. Is it, okay. Sometimes I won't let myself look at that. I don't want to. Okay. I've demystified and unpacked a bunch of it. I'm like, do I want to, I won't read Madonna's brother's book about Madonna either for the same reason. I like what, what am I doing here? I'm kind of holding on to like these beliefs that I don't want to be debunked. I don't think whatever, I don't think whatever beliefs you have about Chris Farley would be debunked in the book. Okay. It's, it's um, reverent enough, like, to Chris Farley, but at the same time, real enough that, like, yeah, he had major issues, but 
but this was who he was, like, you know, the whole Catholicism, you know, like how you're talking like the Catholicism versus prostitution and drug abuse versus addiction and all that stuff, like how this... And how he kind of couldn't get these things to really shake hands. Yeah. He couldn't get these aspects of his, of his life to shake hands. Did you ever hear this um, quote that Chris Rock has where he saw him out? I guess they were in L.A. I don't know what was going on. But he saw him out, and they were talking, and he's like, I'm never going to see this guy again. This guy's going to die. I don't think... I think this is the last time I'm going to see this guy. Like, and I'm just like, that fucking blows my mind. Because I think on some level, those guys were brosives a little bit, at yeah. least. And no one really knocked to say... I mean, I don't know what kind of help he was receiving. I don't know if there was anybody that was... He had gone to rehab a lot. Like, he had tried a lot. I, I know that. motherfucker. <laughs> I, I know, like... I just stuck with him. I almost want to say double digits attached. Oh, sure. Okay, like, yeah. I believe. Because um, I think even during his time on SNL, they threatened to fire him if he didn't take the summer to do it. Like, so, yeah, he's been... Because even that last time that he was on Saturday Night Live, like, I think he hosted two months before he died. And half the jokes were his rehab time. And it, they were so worried that they had Chris Rock on standby as a substitute host. Like, which is pretty awful, if you think about it. That, you know, people that you've worked with for years... But that's another thing. I'm like, that, that's a little bit like this is family. That's a little bit mm. like, okay, listen, we're inviting you all to this wedding, and so-and-so is going to like be uh, a groomsman. Mm. But like, listen, Cousin Rick, we need you in the wings because we, <laughs> because we all know what's Something going might on. go yeah, down. Yeah, we all know. And you know this about yourself as well. <laughs> because there was something, yeah. you know, obviously very self-referential about the... the I mean, I, I did not know... At the time when he was alive and performing, I didn't know about the prostitutes and the Catholicism. Yeah. That I only found out. Yeah, yeah, he. But, um, but you know what I'm talking about? That like, there's something scary about him, right? Like, there's something like wild style about mm -hmm. how he performed and how physical it was. How, how about that bit that he does with um, Patrick Swayze? The, the Chippendales dance. Yeah. yeah. And how like sweaty and like huffy and like, but like how intense the movements are and stuff or like fat guy in a little coat or yeah. like down, you know, van down by the river. Uh, I forget who it was. It was probably David Spade since he's generally regarded as like the best friend. Um, he said that if Chris Farley was in the right mind and not on something, Chippendales would never have happened. That oh, Chippendales yeah. was a, a byproduct of being on drugs and being so, such a people pleaser. Cause that was another thing about Chris Farley that yeah. like he always wanted to be like loved and respected. And, um, because, so you had like this like iconic sketch. It's one of the, probably like the top 20 most famous, funniest things that probably came out of a kind of a dark place yeah. for Chris Farley. But don't uh, you think that a lot of really great comedy comes out of a special dark place? Yeah. Sure, absolutely. Do you remember? It's how we adjust to things. It's yeah. how we cope with things. Do you remember seeing like any, um, like raw, or uh, Eddie Eddie Murphy's raw? I've never seen any of any of Eddie Murphy's stand up Some movies. Some shit is, oh god, I don't. It's a little angry. Yeah, because isn't <laughs> like, I forget which one isn't there. I forget if it's raw or delirious, but isn't there just a straight, like, 10-minute bit that's just straight homophobic at that point yeah. or something? Like, yes. And 
absolutely 30 years ago it was totally okay and no one blinked twice about it like that and uh there's some some of richard Pryor's stand-up that is also dark oh yeah the, the idea of him uh lighting a match and like richard Pryor running down the street like i've seen that kind of stuff and the idea of, of using comedy as a place to be honest about either your hang-ups or like it is a, a really fulfilling art form i think at times if you if you're using it that way instead of just making you know fart you know, jokes I think and stuff i think it's also a place to like get into weird world mm-hmm. i think it's a place to where you can touch into into weird world and uh and yeah use it as kind of a, a jump off for for that kind of material yeah all right so back to you because we, we spent a lot of time on chris farley there okay <laughs> um hpi you're doing movement work and you're like i don't want to call you the comic relief but you're noticing that you're gravitating towards the funny yes more than probably yes. your castmates your classmates yes. or yes so what's your next yes. step of performing like where what's your next thing all right so i ha- i i had a friendship with andrew jeffrey wright mm-hmm. who is a fine artist who was also somebody who's just deeply funny mm-hmm his artwork is deeply funny. He's a deeply funny man. He started doing stand-up maybe a year before I went to HPI. And we started working together to do this like two-person stand-up kind of stuff. That's what we were calling it at the okay. time. And we were doing it in a lot of galleries. Mm. We were doing it to open gallery shows. He was opening for a band called Man Man. And so we, he had that going on. And we were going to like art festivals and art galleries and, and doing our comedy work. And then John Redden, who owns a bar called The Barbary, yeah. asked us if we wanted to have a comedy night. What's the rough timeline to this? Like, when are we talking? 2009. Okay. 2010, 2011, 2012. Okay. Something like that. Because before we were talking, before we turned the mics on, I was talking about that Barbary show about how it just felt so much in another world. It felt so far away. Like, I knew you guys existed. I knew people that were doing the show. But for whatever reason, you were in Fishtown or whatever you want to call it, Northern Liberties. And it just, I don't know, it, it was never accessible to me. Like, Well, also, do you think that, okay, talk about, like, not being accessible. We were doing it for, like, a rock and roll crowd, an art mm-hmm. crowd, a music crowd. Right. Because those kinds of, that kind of show didn't exist at the Barbary. And I don't really know if it ever has or had post. So in other words, we were doing that kind of you experimental weren't, You weren't going thing. for the, the, the normal alternative comedy audience that, you know, Fit was going for. Like, it wasn't necessarily the improv. I don't know what, did, did Fit exist yet, though? I don't, I don't know if Fit was around, and I know Good Good wasn't around. Fit, I don't know the exact starting point of Fit. I, I started getting involved... I took my first class with Fit in 2011 with Brian Kelly. Uh, and at that point, Fit was doing two weeks a month at the Shootman. And now, you know, it's grown to mm-hmm. their new space and every night of the week. Um, but like, bef- so that probably was like in the first like three years of Fit. Like, Fit might have officially been a thing like 06, 07. It might sure. not have been mm-hmm. that regular. Cause I think the way the reason that we kind of got in there is that um, I had always been in bands. I was in a performance art band. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm gonna call it like pop performancey band called Sweatheart. 
Okay. And I had been in that band for years. And we had performed at Tiger Beats at the Barbary. Yeah. And when John was just looking for, I think he was just looking for stuff. He was just like, let's have some weird shit happen here. Yeah, because, like I mean, you need to, if you're going to have a porn space, you need performers performing. But I think that, that really what that space caters to and what I think that, and I should not fucking say this because... <laughs> Who am I to say what is what? But I kind of typically thought of that crew as like a rock and roll, mm. music-based, DJ-based, party-based, right. hands and knees kind of situation. Yeah. So for them to put up this like comedy thing was uh, just different than what they had been doing there. Like what night of the week were you doing generally? We usually picked it, but sometimes it was a Thursday or a Tuesday. Okay. That's what I think it was, Thursday or Tuesday so, we did. Like, on one hand, I think, you know, off night... Not necessarily a party night for people. Not well, necessarily Wednesday a was a big party night. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, Wednesday Tuesday, Thursday a- are like the, the, the stepbrothers, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. weird nights for, to do things. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, gotcha. Because there's like certain bands that I'll, I'll notice they'll always do Philadelphia like on a Thursday or whatever because they're doing New York from Friday, Saturday. Yeah, like, yeah, we're yeah. always that weird night on the touring schedule. Um, all right, so is that the the start of Comedy Dreams? Is like that was a sort of that was so Andrew and I started performing together when we were doing work as a duo. Mm-hmm. It was the New Dreams. Then when we did that comedy night, and it was actually which was Comedy Dreams. It was Andrew and Rose and another artist named Jason Musson, okay, who has since left Philadelphia. But the three of us had it going on, and Jason really only did one night, and he's like, I can't hang with this. <laughs> I cannot hang with this. So he left, and then Andrew and I would go to open mics, much more Andrew than it was me, and he would find, you know, people that we just thought we had something in common with or that, you know, we were comedy aligned. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was, was I really liked that it was a smattering of people. Mm. I don't know if you know, Sidney Gant was one of these. I know the name, yeah. Early friends, and Joe Bell, and uh, who else? Uh, Michael S. Watkins. Mm. Um, cause like I, I did a little digging. I, I rarely do research, you know, cause outs- like for the most part, 60 some episodes, all of them have been just my friends that I've known for a while. Um, so when I talk to people that I'm not used to, I, I try not to like, but like I was seeing stuff about the comedy dream shows and you know, there was like, you know, Brendan Kennedy was showing up in like. As stand-up, there was stand-up acts. There was, a, 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 like, a dance troupe. Oh, yeah, body dreams. Yeah. Everything is dreams. Yeah. Um, I just remember the time that, like, always hearing that there was this weird thing at the Barbary, and I just, I never went. And I don't know necessarily why I didn't go other than... It's far. Eh, so, I mean, you can do Like, it's fine. It's no farther than Johnny Brenda's or Kung Fu Necktie or places I actually have seen shows at. So I don't know if I was just being a jerk about it or lazy. I'll okay. go with lazy. I'm, I'm lazy a lot. Right. Um, so, comedy dreams or new, the new dreams. What is the influence for the two of you as a duo? As a, I think okay. All right. Here's what I'm gonna say about this. I think part of the influence is like 20 years of friendship. Mm-hmm. With, that Andrew and I have just known each other for so long. We like a lot of the same things. We will. Uh, arrive at some of the same performance places mm-hmm. in, in different ways. I think that we match each other's temperament pretty well. Yeah. In other words, like I have, a, I'm a lot of high energy. He's a little bit more, he's lower energy, mm-hmm. uh, but he's deeply weird. Um, 
sometimes he and I will just like be living life and something will happen and it'll like pop some shit off for us. Okay. Sometimes we'll watch a lot of movies together. We'll stay up late just talking about things. We'll go places and just like look at shit and it'll, it'll spark our, our curiosity. We'll write a little something down, come back together and talk about it. So it's not just like a business partnership. It's not just a creative partnership. Like you guys are actually like deeply friends and like... Deep. <laughs> deeply, deeply, deeply friends. Because that's, that's something I always wonder about and talk to people or try to bring up is like how many different sketch groups are a business not and not business because no one's making money on this level really like but it's like oh the four of us we work well together let's do this but you know we'll come in for two hours we'll work and then we'll just leave and you know see you guys next week versus best friends who are constantly talking to each other constantly doing things versus you know romantic partners, how they work together, or Andrew and siblings, I have, like... Andrew, yes! Oh my god, wow, that's a really good... These are good questions. I try. Hey, Misty, you got good questions. <laughs> okay, Andrew and I aren't romantic, but we don't have a conventional friendship. Right. You know, like, at a time in our lives, there was a lot... I would sleep over at his house a lot... He introduced me to my husband. Mm. He is one of the first friends that I met when I moved to Philadelphia. He, um, so yeah, so I think that, there, you know, like there's a thing that happens when you're with your friends where you know that friend well, mm. or like you, you're excited to tell the friend about a thing or you know something that you saw or an event happening. You're excited to go and do things with that friend. You want to take trips with them. Mm-hmm. You know what that friend likes. You get you know there's that excited create creative fodder there. Do you have like a full like shorthand of how you guys work together? Like, is this, like are you at the point where like you can shoot each other looks and know something's not working, something is working. That's a better idea. Like sometimes I think that he and I well I, okay. I think that he and I sometimes battle it out for a way of making the material come to life. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, and I think everything polite has kind of left the room because we're so close. Mm-hmm. So they'll be like, I don't like it when you do that. That's fucked up. You fuck that up. <laughs> That's wrong. Don't say it like that. <laughs> and Andrew and I can both be really exacting. So don't say it this way. Say it this way. You right. forgot that word. That's not. I don't like that shirt. <laughs> that watch is wrong. I'm like, yes, you know. There's something about that too, where like you have that give and take to say those things to your. Yeah, the total like freedom to be not. It's not necessarily being mean in the, but like knowing that it's not a personal attack or personal criticism. It's I want it this way. Like there's almost like an autor, like an autor element to it. Like. Because, like, whenever I write something and I have enough, or it's an opportunity where I have to give it off to someone else to do it, there's still a part of me that's like, don't do it that way. Like, I, I, it's very real, like, and that's just be my own jerkiness about it. But, like... Do you think it is? Hell no. But sure. <laughs> don't feed my child that fried rice. I don't want my child eating that. You want your child to, you know, if you wrote it right. and you had this idea, don't do it that way, it's don't do it that way. But, like, I know people... And I worked with people before and, you know, bringing it, bringing one of my pieces and I always had to act in my own pieces as part of like my control process. And I mean, you guys are a duo, so that's not necessarily an issue because you guys are always going to either be. Yes. 
But then, do you ever have this? Do you ever see somebody else performing or see something else, and you and it sparks it within you that you want? This is how I started working with Matt and Jackie. Mm-hmm. I saw just one piece that they did. It was this uh, skit they did about like karate. We killed mom and dad. Yeah. And I saw and I saw this, and I was like, I, f- I feel like there's so much potential mm. for the four of us to like get smothered and covered and like layered. And okay, so how does the collaboration with Matt and Jackie start? It's really organic. So Okay, so last year when we did Incredible Dreams, it was a configuration of talking, sitting on the couch, smoking cigarettes, eating pretzels, talking about movies, showing each other videos, going through YouTube, mm. and like collecting this organic monster that mm. like became a thing. I think we were all so... Uh, you know, uh, the Fringe Festival has changed over the years, mm. but there was something... God. Well, we were playing with making fun of what of some high art that we have seen. Okay. And uh, I don't know if you saw what we did last year, but I like, didn't. I missed it. It was, uh, you know, we just kind of like took it off the rails and like, and it's in it's in our art gallery. So um, this year and last year we did it in Space Ten Twenty Six. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like fucking with those with those things with those conventions like art, high art, performance, the Fringe Festival. Like, is it like a straight parody or was it a straight parody last year? Like, or was it just like, these are things we've noticed that jerks are doing. Let's, let's play a little bit with this. And then, and then just Matt and Jackie and Andrew and I getting like getting into those nooks and crannies of conversation, like the things that pop off for us. Cause you know what? I, I, I don't know if they feel this way about Andrew and myself, but I would see things that they did and just connected with it on a level and felt like if we stirred it around something but okay so what was the first what was the first thing where i mean you met there you had this idea of like hey i want to work with them how do you breach that like hey i would like to work with you guys like yo yo shit bitch it has to happen also i was like male female duo male female duo and i think that um we did a showcase for Showtime that Aaron and Kate from Good Good Comedy put together. Okay. And I think after that, we were pitching to Showtime like some ideas mm. because they were like, you know, I think Chanel Ali was doing it as well and maybe a couple other people. Long story longer. Mm. We had this pitch that it would be like, do you remember like Alice and Jack and Sammy and it was a 1960s or 70s movie about this like polyamorous quadruple. Oh, what is it called? It's like Ted and Alice, Carol and Bobber. Yes, exactly. exactly. Some configuration of those four names. So I kind of like, you know, Andrew and I were riffing on that. Mm -hmm. And that was a layer of this piece that we did for the Fringe Festival last year. Okay. That would be this like crazy polyamorous quadruple. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I also like that Matt and I are a little bit more like Chris Farley bonks and <laughs> Andrew and Jackie are, I'm not going to say the straight men, but they're like doing something else. They're a little more grounded. Right. And so I really liked how all this shit would like play off of each other. Mm. And, uh, um, so the way that we started, I, I think that after we did the showcase, I was like, we should work with them. And then I sat next to them and said, okay, we're, what do, we, do you want to do? Like, let's, let's make something. You guys down? Let's down? Are you down to clown? Hey, guys, you did this. I did this. This is funny. This is like a... I think Andrew and I also did a piece that was about uh, a, a weird couple. 
Mm-hmm. So they had done. Th- we just were making stuff, and I'm like, this. There's these enough are two great tastes. Overlapping. Taste Chocolate I, and peanut yeah. butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we did, and then we did one minute monologues. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of took off from there. I knew that I also liked what was happening when we were generating work, and the things that they were showing me. Because, you know, there's an age difference. Yeah. But the things that they were showing me, I was so interested in and I hadn't seen before. And I was, like, loving it. So, that. Uh, um, like, what's the rough timeline between starting to work with them and the Fringe show? Like, how long did you guys give yourselves to, to work on this? Like, like no time. <laughs> like moments. Like, but you had to have, like, were you... Uh, were you officially like listed in the fringe like guide as a thing or yeah. was it so you had to have at least had some pre-planning of well we knew we were gonna do something <laughs> so we weren't it we knew something was gonna happen so you just put in like new dreams in the fringe thing and we'll figure it out later or we, well we called it we wanted it to be a mashup so it's incredible dreams mm-hmm. and we had some loose ideas because we had just talked about what was happening for us or what, what, what the places that we were popping off and had some heat mm-hmm. and had some like good, some yeah. good taste, some good flavor sensation. And then we just played with it. And sometimes I, I do see that uh, some performance groups, it takes them months and months. I think that, that, you know, the theater, when you're like doing theater craft, it's months and mm-hmm. months and months. But I think we probably gave ourselves not even a month. Yeah. There, I mean, there's there's a positive to working on things and working them into the ground and get them like to be like the best you know months and months and months and then there's a positive to spur the moment not giving yourself enough time not second guessing yourself almost like just let let's roll with it let's see how it goes if we have to and change about, things after yes and how about we make two. a place for all of our fucking crazy ideas all the things that may, might have gotten shelved that mm-hmm. like we didn't right. use let's throw all that fucking shit in there and then let me talk about that shit and see what you have to say and what you have to say and what you have to say and let's make a cake um, and I like what you're saying yeah like yeah. not second guessing it and just like getting just, it out yeah. uh, okay so you mentioned being visual artist and video and um, sketch how do you deal with the differences of ideas like if you see something and you see you know a thought and a thought hits you is it this is better for this, this is better for this, I want to pursue it this way. Like, how do you deal with the different media that you use to get your point across? Like, You know, sometimes it's an idea. Well, sometimes it can go, huh, this is, this is interesting. I had an art show this year, and I made a wall of all different kinds of titties. It was a big, huge wall of titties. Okay. And I wanted to make that because I thought that would be a great thing to look at. And originally I was like, oh, these are breasts for men. Mm-hmm. Because I think that the, uh, you know, the Women's March had <laughs> happened. And I was like, what about feminist men that want to support and like need some memory situation? <laughs> so I'll make these like titties and we'll put them on men. But then I ended up putting them on the wall and I, I just loved what was happening there. But then, you know, the show came down. And that was an installation, so I didn't sell anything. I think I like gave some of them away or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh, let's repurpose this. Or like, what would it be if if we like made a big, huge mountain of these and just like got in them? Right. Or like, what would it be if like it was just like a sea of like Matt like playing guitar and like fucking around in them? Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can make something and then it it has legs and can go right. elsewhere. 
Um, how do you approach? How do you approach like idea generation then? Like, if if something's going to be a sculpture or an installation, are you actively looking to repurpose it or be able to? No, but sometimes it just speaks to you. Mm. Like I made a coffin. I, I made a tie-dyed stuffed coffin okay. that like a small man or a regular-sized woman can get in. Okay. And I haven't done anything with it post the the you know the, the the show and having it as an installation piece but i'm like oh my god there's there's so many really fucked up things you could do with this that would be interesting to look at for instance if we put wheels on it mm-hmm. and like somebody rolled me down the street or we like, just like had a crazy like funeral at like the acme when somebody just rolled me in and somebody filmed that i'm just like oh there's places you can go right. with it and you know that just kind of comes with like working with the thing long enough mm. so you make the wall of titties and as you're generating that you're like you know what else would be really funny if like matt was naked in it or like if andrew <laughs> and matt were naked in it you know what i mean and then yeah. you're like ha, 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 it's a funny thing i mean you mentioned wheeling a coffin through an acme do you jo- go with like these public displays of sure like i don't know what you would call it. what what would you call that like I don't know. I probably would want somebody to film that, and I would probably call it some kind of happening. Right. Like that, I, a comedy happening? I didn't think of happening, but, like, that makes sense. Cause it's a comedy Like, happening. it's not quite, like, a pranky kind of thing where I think would other people would do, do it as, like, a more... Is that pr- performance art? I would I would imagine so. It's more performance art than prank. I mean, happening probably makes more just as much sense as anything else. Performance comedy? Comedy art? Art, art comedy? Although... If you're wheeling it into an Acme, I don't know what the end game is going to be. Like, how quickly is Acme going to like descend on you? And what if we just put it in like the area where the shopping carts go? What if you like went to the shopping cart area and there was just like a tie-dyed, plushy <laughs> coffin and like a, like a woman in there? I don't know. Or like a funeral was happening. What if there was a? What if we set up a funeral space <laughs> in that area where the carts go and there were just mourners and like weepers and like people <laughs> and a cash registry and like a place for cards and a mm-hmm. priest? Like, what the fuck? Do it. Yeah, right? <laughs> that would just be right. like a thing. Now you've completely generated an, a new thought. There of, it happened. There you but go. you see what, how that just happened? <laughs> Look, that was you and me. We just made that. We're the new, new dreams. Yes. Like, um, what? And I really haven't seen much of your work. And the last couple of times. What have I've, you seen? Have you seen any of it? Or not? A video? Or? I've seen a couple of videos watching, trying to figure out what you guys are doing. And because, um, I don't know. Like, Last couple of times I did one minute monologue, you and Andrew were both in my paint. And I think I was far enough away from you, like within the span of the 60 people, that I couldn't get back in to see what you guys were doing. So what were you doing <laughs> with the mime stuff? Because I think it's happened multiple times. Yeah. We are, we're usually mimes. Yeah. Um, there have been a few times when I was unable to do one minute monologues and so Andrew will do something else by himself but if it's the two of us I think we were like riffing off of monologue and mm-hmm. it's talking and the riff was like what if we mime monologue yeah. and um, then what if we split ourselves up so it's not the two of us together but each act is referencing the, the mime that came before them okay right so in one of them Andrew like in one of them, I think Andrew, like, made us, something happens and he ends up vomiting. But then when I go out, I, like, have the vomit and I kind of take it from there. Okay. So it's kind of a continuation, continuation so story. It's, so you're not, not only playing with the monologue part of it, 
you're playing with the time aspect of it because you're theoretically giving yourselves double the time right. to exactly. work yeah. on. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. Like, yes. And we're also to create one scene, yes. just maybe ten people yes. in between the two. Yes, 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 yes. Has it, it's a treat, right? It's right. a little treat. Little like, <laughs> Have people caught on to that? Like, I mean, I'm sure, right? I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure. There's a you know a few like I don't know maybe your batting average of the audience member like oh there's another mine that's weird like. Or how many people in the audience don't know who you guys are? I'm sure a lot of people have no idea who we are. I mean, you, you guys are pretty much fixtures at Good Good. Like, a, you do more Good Good more than, you know, like... Well, we do a lot of art stuff. And right. I think that, okay, this is what I mean by those these worlds kind of aren't touching. Mm-hmm. Um, our art folks, sometimes we can coax our art folks to come out to things. Right. Because we'll... Like the we'll, art we'll folks put, might be coming to we'll put good, the art good. breadcrumbs out, yeah. <laughs> but isn't that? In, I think that's so fucking important that these. Okay, so when we were doing comedy dreams at the Barbary, they were like, "Oh God, my 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 clitoris is growing." As I tell you this story, I'm okay. <laughs> so I would look out into the crowd, and sometimes they would just be like, "Total rock and roll." Oh my God, hold on. What do I want to say? What the fuck is this band like? Look with Motley Crue, like Motley Crue looking people, mm-hmm. Motley Crue looking dudes. Awesome, like, like tattoo fake titty girls. There are people like, that are there at, like, because it's the Barbary. Like, it's a show at the Barbary, so you might as well like go to go. it. It's yeah. not necessarily they're coming for you. They're just coming for yeah. drinks at and the Barbary. And like, it would make me so happy that they were like laughing and drinking mm-hmm. and enjoying it. Or if somebody would approach me afterwards and say, I really like that. I was like, what a fucking treat. What a fucking treat that you're not let's say of the scene or like kind of what you're mm-hmm. saying, the usual suspect showing up and that you saw something new and that it, in that you like it. And maybe tomorrow you'll think about it. And maybe a year from now, I don't know, it'll generate something for you. I don't know. Just yeah. a, a, a thing. Or that you got to see different groups of people that you wouldn't normally see. Or like, for instance, I think uh, there were some art folks that I know that probably wouldn't see more of a straight comedy thing or maybe even any comedy. So having them see, like a Josh Kosh or, you know, a Joe Bell, or mm. just having them see any kind of comedy was pleasing to me that they were looking at that. Is there, do you get a sense that, like, the comedy aspect is looked down upon within the art yeah. community? Yeah. Like, way. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Oh, they cannot, especially a certain kind of art. Even when they overlap, like, or like the people within it overlap? I think a lot of art takes itself so seriously mm-hmm. and you can't be funny mm-hmm. and it's, it's not good profound art if it's funny. That's what I think on some level. And then I think on the other side, yeah, absolutely. It like can live and breathe and like be there. There's a lot of fucking artists that are funny. There's a lot of artists like, um, Bruce Nauman. Yeah. I didn't. Okay. So he's like a performance artist, a performance artist and a sculptor, but I think he did a lot of his work in like the sixties, seventies, eighties. I mean, he's still relevant, still mm-hmm. making work, but he had a piece called fountain and it was just him. I think he was naked drinking water and spitting it out and drinking water and spitting it out. <laughs> I'm like, that's motherfucking funny. I would laugh at that, you know? And like, uh, if you give me enough time, I'm sure I can think of some other people that are funny. I mean, what about that? 14 karat gold toilet at the Guggenheim. Right. Is it the Guggenheim? I think it's somewhere in New York. I'm yeah. just like, that's fucking funny. Yeah. Um, so good who's to me in a funny way. I know there's a urinal at 
the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and I can't remember what the artist, who the artist is, and it's, you know, it's supposed to be this commentary of, well, I, I grew up when I grew up and like studied art in high school and stuff. Like pop art was, was my jam because it didn't take itself as seriously as everything seemed to have had before it. Like, you know, so Warhol, Jasper Johns came on the scene, Rauschenberg, Lichtenstein, mm-hmm. like taking these everyday objects and elevating them to be art or like even the process like of screen printing versus yes. painting, you know, those kinds of things yeah. in art. Like, and I don't know how much they got respect in their time versus looking back 20, 30 years sure. after the fact. Like, Do you know who Chloe Wise is? No. She has some kind of relationship with, um, I think it's, I don't know, with Tim and Eric. Okay. Um, but she is a painter. First of all, she's, re- she's technically really, really, really good. Mm. She made a series of bags out of like bagels and bread. And then she gave them to friends. I guess she had a friend who was a model. And the model wore it to like a big runway show. Okay. And then kind of like touted it like this is like a new designer. And, the, and so this woman is really funny and she'll do things like this that are, that, that kind of like get attention and are kind of making fun of the thing that she's making the art mm-hmm. around. Um, but she is a pretty well-established artist and the first time I, I uh, became familiar with her work was this like line of bags mm-hmm. that were um, bagels and croissants. And hoagie rolls. How does she make a bet? Like, I just don't understand. Like the, like the. You ha- <laughs> you have to see it. We should probably look. Okay, well, once we I'll finish with this, we're gonna look at it. Yeah. Up. Okay. It looks like it's almost like a varnished bagel. It looks like she took a bagel, dipped it in varnish, like split it okay. open, hollowed it out, and like okay, someone put a pack of gum. One is like one cigarette, okay, a so pack of gum, and that, one tampon. It is that, that small. Like I'm kind of, I'm thinking like bagels sewed together to make like. No, it's a hobo really bag weird, almost. and, it, and like, it looks real. So I'm wondering if she just like varnished it and right. varnished a bagel. Um, what's something that you've learned from comedy? Versus, I mean, from your life of performance, from your life of art, what's what's something that comedy has taught you that you could either pass on to someone who's coming into comedy or just you know some kind of life general? Oh damn! Yeah. Oh damn! I gotta go deep as we end up. Like, All right, let me. Okay, wait. Can you? Wow, that is some deep ass <laughs> motherfucking shit. Some like, deep ass. You know, shit. practical, technical comedy knowledge or what did it teach me what has it taught me what did it give me mm-hmm. what is the gift that keeps some on nugget that you can pass on to someone else well, i guess i'm going to go back to some of the things we talked about earlier which are some of the best comedians are the people that are deeply twisted and fucked up and like working that shit out mm-hmm. in the only way they can mm. and what else has it taught me God damn it. Um, I, oh, um, it's taught me that comedy is a space that can hold a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, again, going back to what we were saying before, you can get up at a stand-up night and do a lot of things and have it be legitimate comedy, even if it's not like a technical stand-up yeah. thing. And fuck David Cross, doesn't have to be you. <laughs> Doesn't have to be real. <laughs> you you don't even have to stay. Li- I mean, uh, yeah, you can be completely like 
so far from like what you actually are yeah and legitimately make something like very funny that will be interesting and beloved by many human beings and why do you keep doing it oh my god it's written on my bones Mm. it's written on me bones i think i just love it it's just my spot it's my thing like even even though i really love making the artwork that i make i think even that stuff is a little bit funny you know Mm -hmm. like the tie-dyed stuffed animal coffin or the wall of titties there's some humor in there i like that shit i like it i think uh yeah it just speaks to me Mm. and i'd rather you know i I cough uh, comedy coffin (laughs) coffiny comedy will soften shit up too a little bit i feel like it's approachable Mm. you know like like um some artists or musicians or some other people that practice different forms of art like film directors or actors they're not approachable, but there's something about comedy that's more down yeah. home. There's it's a buttered toast. The the reaction of making someone laugh is immediately inviting or welcoming compared to, uh, you know, some kind of like dramatic piece that would make you cry. There's a different like there's a different, uh, you know, if you make me cry, it's gonna I'm gonna push away a little bit more just because like I can't deal with that emotion versus if you're making me laugh you know it's a it's more inviting it's a more humanizing more social thing you push into that you fall forward into that you get you you don't have the same apprehension about getting close to that that you might right because like if if i'm crying about something if you know some movie makes me cry there's a part of me that wants to retreat because that to me and and it's not entirely true but to me crying that kind of emotion is a solitary uh event a solitary process i'd rather cry alone and laugh with others i think like i don't know if that's completely true like but even then like i always mention i've mentioned this a couple times uh when my grandfather died and since i didn't want to deal with my emotions i was listening to stand up on the way to the funeral like to try to like tampered down the awfulness of that day you know like um it's a, it's a good palate cleanse for death yeah you know, just like listening to uh hold on who is that woman that has uh lady dynamite what is this she's bipolar um, she, i mean her god she, what a fucking genius yeah she's she's good <laughs> i mean what a way to i mean like just like put your difficult, complicated mental illness, your bipolar disorder on your lap and coddle it like a baby and yeah. like make peace with it. And, and then subverting the idea of, st- of stand-up comedy by doing one special solely for your parents and then her most recent Netflix special as she goes through it. I don't know if, you, if you've seen it. She starts with just her husband as the audience and then a couple friends... And a few more friends at like a dinner party. That's art. And then this bitch is art. Uh, a bigger crowd at like a bookstore, full of like comedy. Like it's this whole thing. And then eventually she ends up. Spoiler: Not that it's really a spoiler to the story. She's doing it in front of like a green screen, talking to the universe as a whole. Like it's just so surreal and bizarre and awesome. And Marie Bamford's awesome. Like she's great. I agree. She's great. <laughs> She's great. 
She's great. Um, I ate Indian food in her backyard once. In Maria Bamford's backyard. <laughs> Andrew in, a, in Los Angeles town. Fancy. Her husband is an art guy. Yeah. And I saw some of her artwork, which is pretty fucking good. Yeah. She um, she was doing portraits. or She did a, a portrait. It was great. Hmm. It's black and white. I didn't know she did art stuff. I think she was just kind of fucking with it. I don't, you know, but I, uh, I liked it. And then I saw her dogs, her weird dogs. <laughs> and she had a sculpture of just a nose on the wall in their house. A big, huge nose. Maybe it could have been a lamp. It might have, it might have been a light-up yeah. thing. Hmm. That's weird. Wait, now I want to copy that. Now I want to make like a big <laughs> ear, like a big <laughs> hand that like lights up. Watch out, Maria. I'm coming for your <laughs> stuff in your house. Get in the gallery first. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, Rose. Well, thanks. This was so dandy. Thank you for having me on. Bye, bye, bye. bye. Rose can be seen next as The New Dreams and The Incredible Shrinking Matt and Jackie combine forces to present Two Incredible Two Dreams at Space 1026 at 1026 Arch Street. There are multiple shows between September 13th and the 16th, and more information about specific times and ticket prices can be found at FringeArts.com. You can see me performing at Monologues at Fit Comedy on Thursday, September 14th at 9.30 p.m. And of course, Philly Sketch Fringe at the Playground at the Adrian on September 15th. Three shows throughout the night featuring Dog Mountain, House of Solitude, The Decoy, The Prince, John and Ian, High Drama, and Mean Wendy Band. Tickets can be found at myfirstsketch.com slash sketchfringe. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at PHL Sketchfest. For more about comedy in Philly in general, head to watercooler.com. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. And of course, like My First Sketch on Facebook. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.